Lord, as we uh, study your, the story of Easter again today, we pray your blessing. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, the Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, what, a, what a great day. I, I remember years ago, uh, D.L. Uh, Moody in Chicago, uh, his wife asked him afterwards, uh, did many people respond when you gave the invitation? And he said, yeah, three and a half. And I, I, he said, uh, you mean three adults and a child? He said, no, three children. They've got their whole life ahead of them. And one older person who's got half their life gone. You know, and what a joy to see uh, the fruit of our youth programs here and these people coming to know. Jesus Christ. So thank you, Eric, and those who help out with our kids. A couple of years ago in Red Square, you know, they always have these big celebrations in Red Square. Here's just a couple of pictures of once, and they decided that they were uh, losing some people who were drifting away from uh, the, the, uh, the, the kind of tenets of communism, which reject any kind of religion. And uh, we're starting to, so they decided to have some uh, historians and some scientists and other people come up and refute the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they had them all in the Red Square, thousands of people there, many of them required to be there, and they listened for an hour as people gave uh, arguments against the resurrection of Christ. And then they allowed three minutes for the Russian Orthodox priest to respond. And he said, I won't need that much time. And he walked up in front of the crowd and he said this, Jesus Christ is risen. And the people said, and he went and sat down. <laughs> uh, you know, you can argue it or whatever. But interesting, even George Gallup, the pollster, said in America that 84% of people who never go to church believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It's a pretty telling statistic, isn't it? That even people who don't go to church still have a belief in the resurrection. Now, there were a lot of people who were witnesses to it. We believe it because we believe it's historically true. Uh, the the uh, Roman historian Suetonius talks about it. The Jewish uh, historian Josephus talks about the resurrection. And uh, if you look in the scriptural records, there are at least 15 historical references to Jesus meeting people, touching people, talking with people, even eating people with people after he had been crucified. One time he cooked breakfast for some people. One time he talked to over 500 people at one time. Uh, there were just so many witnesses who saw him after the crucifixion that it shouldn't be that hard for us. But let's just kind of go back and let's just kind of uh, stage, uh, set the stage again for this. So on Friday... It tells us in Matthew 27 that as evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth, placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. And then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. And both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching all of this happen. We know from uh, the other records in, in Matthew and Luke that the Roman soldiers were assigned to guard, uh, the, guard the, the tomb and that the tomb, it says, actually was sealed shut uh, by those Roman soldiers. 
Saturday, uh, Mark 16 tells us that that evening when the Sabbath ended, so again, in, in Jewish culture, uh, Saturday was the, the day of worship, and this was a time of uh, a Passover, a very important time of worship. And it's so at, at the end of that day, when the sun has gone down, that's the end of the Sabbath day. So then you could go to the stores and places, and Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went and purchased uh, burial spices, so they could anoint Jesus' body. The reason you needed people like Mary, the mother of, of James and Salome, was uh, it was very expensive to purchase those spices. And these were wealthy women who, throughout much of Jesus' ministry, had supplied food and help to him and his disciples. On Sunday, we're told uh, that the first person comes to that grave and sees that something has happened early on Sunday morning. It, it says, while it was still dark, the, the Greek actually says during the time of the fourth watch, which was 3 o'clock till 6 o'clock in the morning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away. Now remember, it, we've read that Mary was there Friday when he was put in. He, she was getting everything ready on Saturday, and now here she is on Sunday before the sun's even coming up. She's coming to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Why does she keep coming there? Well, a, a lot of you have lost uh, much-loved people in your life, people that you really love, and and, uh, you, you know, people want to just, they want to go to the graveyard. They want to go to the tomb. They, they want to go to the, the place where the headstone is and, and remember. Uh, I do a lot of work in Estonia. It's funny, in Estonia, they actually, in the grave uh, plots, they'll put in, a lot of them will put in on one end of the grave, grave plot, they'll put in a bench so they can actually come and sit there at the grave of people who have uh, passed on. And Mary is like that kind of a person. We know she was a heart person. We know that she dearly loved Jesus. And what is she going to do? And, and she's just drawn to keep going back to the place where he, even he's buried. She ran and found uh, uh, Simon Peter and the other disciple. It's interesting that John wrote this account. And John doesn't like to... Uh, say his name. He likes to kind of, as a writer, he calls himself the other disciple or, or someone who went with Peter, but he doesn't like to say, I was there. But he's talking about his own account here. She ran and, and found uh, Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the, out of the tomb, and, and we don't know where they've put him. Uh, it's interesting that a recurring theme you'll notice in the story at this point is nobody expected him to be alive. Uh, even his closest friends, even the people who knew him best and loved him most, had no expectation. And when you go back and read the accounts of Jesus and how many times he talked about the fact that he was going to, you know, one, just one was, he says, you know, you'll tear down this temple and the third day I'll build it up again. All kinds of things. He, he gives testimony that it's going to happen, and yet they didn't quite get it. I have to give them some excuse because at this point they still don't have that indwelling of God's Holy Spirit to explain everything to them like they will later. But as, as, uh, as they come uh, to the tomb, as they run to the tomb now, uh, it says they, they both, I love the story, they're both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Uh, he does say he was quicker than Peter, you know. 
uh, and he stooped and he looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. I call him here the fearful one. I'm not sure what the hesitation was about. When it says, uh, it uses different words for seeing here in the text. In verse 5, it says, uh, it says he saw the wrappings inside. It, it means he just kind of glanced at them. It doesn't mean he focused his attention. But for some reason, he's afraid to go in. Uh, are there people that you know of who, for whatever reason, are afraid of Easter? They don't understand it. They're not sure about the whole thing. Uh, you know, they have uh, differences of opinion. Uh, and I think there are people who, there are people who, some of you may be invited to church today and they just, they didn't want to come. And they don't even know why they, they didn't want to come. But a lot of it is just fear. Uh, I like what uh, Bill Hybels used to tell this story about if, if your friend invited you to go with, uh, to the Buddhist temple, what would you do? Well, you'd want to drive your own car so you could get out of there. You'd want to park at a place where you have easy access to leave. You know, you wouldn't want to have to talk to anybody. You wouldn't want to have to stand or sing or sign anything or anything. You would just kind of want to be left alone that, because you're afraid of what's going to happen, you know, in, in this place, which is kind of ridiculous to us, but, you know, there are people who feel that way. And it says that uh, then Simon Peter... Uh, Arrived and went inside, he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. Uh, now think about this, what this was like for Peter in this moment, all the, the waves of stuff that, you know, I mean, this is the Peter who has just within, you know, 48 hours denied Jesus Christ uh, three times in, in, the, uh, in the place where Jesus was on trial. He was asked if he was associated with Jesus, and three times he says, no, I don't know this man. And now here he is on, early on, on Sunday morning, and he's coming to the grave, and he does what Peter does. He rushes inside. I love this guy. I named my son Peter, you know. I, I wanted my son to be like one of those guys who would get out of the boat and try to walk on the water. You know, I wanted my son to be a great man of faith. I was hoping he'd be a preacher, but he became a computer guy, so I don't know what that means. But, uh, and it says, while, uh, while the cloth, verse 7, that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings, then the disciple John, again, had, who had reached the tomb first, and also, he also went in, and he saw and believed. He saw here means he perceived with comprehension. He saw it, he believed it, because he recognized what had happened when he saw the empty grave clothes that were there. Uh, if someone had stolen the body of Christ, you would not have seen, as the video shown, just the grave clothes just laying there right where they were. You, you, there would have been stuff all over the place if they had just tried to get the body out of there. But because they, uh, they didn't do that, wouldn't get past the Roman soldiers or the sealed tomb to do that for one thing. It says, uh, it says he believed, he saw and believed. You know, in the Bible it says uh, uh, there's a blessing that comes to those of you who haven't seen him and still believe. Uh, and many of us enjoy that blessing in our life. 
But one thing that always hits me is it says that uh, the wrappings, verse 6 said the wrappings, linen wrappings were just laying there. But in verse 7 here it said, uh, and the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart. I could never understand why until I was reading about Jesus' life as a carpenter. And as a carpenter for 30 years, you know, in Israel, a carpenter had a way of telling people when he was working on a project that the job was done. He would take the, the cloth, the rags, or whatever he had been using to do his work, and he would fold it up, and he would put it on top of the piece, and that was the way when the person came home, they know that the work was done. And I, I love that Jesus does his carpenter thing. And he folds up the head cloth that had been over his face. He folds it up as another way of saying, it's been done, it's been completed, it's finished. Verse 9, until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. What, what are you going to do? <laughs> what do you do after, when you're walking out of the empty tomb? What do you do? You just kind of stand around or, well, here's our friend Mary. God bless the women. Standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stood and she looked, she stooped and she looked in. She hadn't gone in before. And she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the, of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. It's interesting to me because uh, in the, uh, the Holy of Holies, the holiest place in Israel, there was that, that thing, you know, you, you all saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, so you understand the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, there was a lid on the top of that. It was called the Mercy Seat. And over the mercy seat, there were, uh, there were two uh, like statues of cherubim with their, with their wings out over the top of that mercy seat. I think a lot of the passages in the Psalms where he talks about where it talks about under his wings, it's not just talking like bird theology. It's actually talking about being right there at the very center of God's presence on earth, under the wings of those cherubim, those angels. And here, uh, here's an angel at the head and at the foot, just like what, what the mercy seat looked like, kind of visually now being recreated. Dear woman, why are you crying? Angels asked her, because they've taken away my Lord. She still doesn't know what's happened. And I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. What, what, why? Well, ladies, come on. Have you ever been crying really hard? You can't, you're lucky you can see where you're going at all. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, uh, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him. I'll go and get him. You know, we've got so many great works of art like this picture that show this, uh, this time when they meet up. And Jesus just says one word to her. He says her name, Mary. Jesus said, it's all it took. <laughs> it's all it took for her to know who this was. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which Aramaic, 
actually for, uh, for rabbi or for teacher. Uh, somehow in the pa passing this along, the verse 17 dropped off. If you have in your Bible, though, you can look at, uh, at verse uh, 17. And what, uh, what it says is, don't cling to me, Jesus said. So evidently she grabs a hold of him. And, and Jesus doesn't stop her from that, but he just says, don't, don't try to hold on to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So he makes her really one of the first messengers. Here's what's interesting. In that world, women were not people. They were property. In the Jewish prayers, every day a Jewish man would pray and thank God for three things, that he was not a Gentile, a dog, or a woman, because were the th three worst things a Hebrew man could imagine. And uh, again, in court, they were not, their testimony would not be accepted in a court of law uh, because, you know, they were, they were not considered worthy of that. And, and who is it that God chooses to be really the first, res the first person to see the risen Jesus Christ and who makes her a messenger and says, now go tell the brothers, uh, go tell the brothers that I'm going to come and I'm going to ascend. In other words, he's beginning now to talk about what's going to happen. Is he just going to hang around now again uh, forever or what's going to happen? And he, he's trying to set the stage that this is like a little bit of an interim state here. He's here. He's resurrected. They're going to see him. They're going to hear him. But his goal now is to be ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God. Could you see, as the video showed, the holes in his hands and feet, the sign of the spear in his side? Uh, I fully believe you could because it tells us Thomas uh, saw them and, and, and said he would believe when he saw them and then he sees them. Uh, I think when Jesus goes back to heaven, one thing I didn't understand for most of my Christian life is that when Jesus went back to heaven, he did not go back to heaven as he had been before he came to earth. He goes back to heaven in a resurrected, glorified body, but I still think I'm going to see those marks in his hands and in his feet one day because he was forever changed by his time on earth. And he loved us so much, he was willing to endure that. He was willing, as Philippians 2 says, to give up all of his rights, all of his privileges as God because he loves you so much. He's willing to come and give him his life, his, his life's blood for you so that you can be forgiven. Friends, one of the most beautiful words in the, in the language, my, my grandfather uh, spent most of his early years as a very rough guy. Again, he was a, a street fighter in Chicago, you know, leader of the Little Hell Gang on the north side of Chicago. And he only had one word on uh, a wall in his house that I still have that little thing because it, it's such a great testimony to my grandfather and it was a word his wife was from Sweden and it was a, a Swedish word and what the, it took me a long time to ask my Swedish friends well what does it mean and I got different things and I began to realize with clarity here's what that word means in English forgiven Forgiven. The one word my grandpa wanted on the wall of his house was that he was forgiven for all that garbage, forgiven for all the mistakes, forgiven for all the, the crap in his life that he had done and gone through. And that, that because of what Jesus Christ had done, 
he was a new man. His favorite verse was 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And he lived by that. And Mary Magdalene, in verse 18, found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. The first, the first communication of what had happened it was Floyd Filson who said, the organizing fact of biblical theology is the resurrection of Jesus. Ray Stedman says, Easter always falls in the midst of the awakening of earth from its death in winter amid the coming to life again of things that once were dead. We have ample evidence in the process of nature itself to believe in the resurrection of the body as we see the daffodils coming and the tulips coming and all the things, just about every couple days, there's another flower in my garden that's breaking ground and showing its beauty. In this time of rebirth in spring, we see again that, is it hard for us to believe that those flowers can come back to life again? Then why is it hard to believe that God can come and give us a new wave of life, a new beginning, a fresh start. Forgive us, wash away the stuff that makes us stand away from him and come and embrace him. And like a child, you know, when my grandkids see me, what's the best thing in the world? When they come running.